With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Yet a navy, 
as as uh, one juvenile, MC Juvenile once said. Um, we 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 building, we building this thing up. And you he was working yeah, a juvenile rapper, really? A juvie, juvie man, I had to go back, I had to go take take it back to, wow. to to the turn of the century. You know, not a lot of cats wow. can that. You know, RSG is Army, better yet the Navy. <laughs> I don't really get that, but okay. Oh, uh, come on. We, oh, Roger's disappointed. My man, my man, G, uh, Euro J out there, my man. Roger That's right. Right. I, I read it in New Orleans. They yeah. call him Rod, yeah. the undercover cat. Hey, I'm telling you, man. He had smoke screens. Listeners <laughs> 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 out there, y'all always, everybody had that one cat in the crew who, you know, just at any given moment, you know, you, you, y'all in the midst of a heated conversation or, you know, y'all yeah, y'all watching a, a game or something, and then you look around and your boy just disappeared. I mean, just cold, <laughs> man. He's, I mean, it's just X-Files type stuff. That's our boy, Rod, man. Shout out to Rod. Kid from the N.O. from New Orleans. Right. He's from the seventh ward. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, man. So we bring you another edition of the Real Sports Guys, RSG Renegade Radio. Before we get into everything, allow me to say you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We appreciate your patronage. Uh, before we get into the proceedings this evening, allow me to introduce the other two-thirds of the illustrious three-man booth. To my right, I got my man D. Wills. Holla at the people. I'm feeling good, man. I feel like I've been caged for the past week or two. I'm excited to be here. I want to thank all the people out there in the uh, Bay Area, uh, my fo- my folks at uh, at uh, uh, Ricky's, uh, who uh, they hosted us for the the, the the boxing match, and we watched the Warriors. And you know, they, they they went down, but it was it was good to be out there with the with the with the fans and have a good time. I'm glad to be back in the studio. That another is that another sponsor, D? But yeah, a couple people hollering at me. We might have some. We might have some some folks from the Bay Area call in at some point. So if you see that number out there, uh, uh, we might have some. We got we we got some new folks that might be calling okay. in. So you know, uh, right. you know, we you know, we be ready for them. But yeah, I actually had a before okay. I left. I had a, a couple people calling me about being sponsored. They seeking us right now. You got a business. You know, you need to help us up on realsportsguide.com to join the movement. Right, these, hey, these will not come in your establishment. Coast coast. <laughs> D. Wilson cannot go into an establishment and not ask for sponsorship right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You know, it's just like they just kicking me out. You know, I'm okay with that. D. Wilson's like, let me show you our download numbers, okay? They'll oh. sell them. <laughs> One guy said, I want to, he said, how many sponsors you got? I said, we're, we're building. Gave him the number. He said, I want to catch you on the way up. <laughs> I said, okay. We can have that conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. Hey, I feel you. I feel you. You got to keep us going. You got to keep us growing. I love it. I love it. I love the work ethic, man. This cat's getting after it, man. He's getting after it. So, y'all heard him. He's been chiming in already. He's in the house, live in full effect. To my left, my man, Phil T, the sports PhD. What's happening, Captain? I've used all my time already on the intro with juvenile and sponsorship, so I'll just say hi. <laughs> all right, all right. So we're in the house. We're about to get it going. 
before we really start to dig into the show, uh, give you a quick rundown of some things we're going to hit on tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about the Mayweather fight. Mayweather versus Maidana went down this weekend. Floyd Mayweather wins by decision. We're going to talk about that, give you the RSC perspective on the fight, how we thought Floyd did, how we thought Maidana did and holding his ground against Floyd. Um, then we're going to get heavy NBA. So I hit you off with the NFL draft. So much ground to cover. NBA, you got Donald Sterling. You got the magical disappearing Roy Hibbert. You got the Indiana Pacers falling apart. Uh, you got all the great first-round series. I mean, this was a great first round. I mean, five game sevens. That's something I've never seen in the first round of the playoffs in my lifetime. I think, ooh. So that's something that was, I was really excited about, and I'm excited to talk about and hear y'all's opinions on. And then we got the NFL draft, which seems like it has taken forever to get here. But it is finally draft week. So Thursday, the first round, the draft will start, and it will carry on through the weekend. We'll talk about some of the uh, main storylines around the draft, some of the storylines that have our interest peaks. So we've got a slamming show for y'all, as we always do. I'm going to turn it over to my man, Ph.D., real quick, and he's going to get us going on the Madonna Mayweather talk. Yeah, we want to start the show talking a little bit about boxing. I've been surprised the the past few days that the Mayweather fight has not really had any kind of presence, uh, a very minor presence on the national talk show radio, uh, talk radio. And so I know D. Wills and I, we were watching the fight and going back and forth, and um, I think this was one of the best fights that I've seen Mayweather, well, it's, it was probably the closest fight that I've seen Mayweather fight in quite some time, probably over seven or eight, maybe close to ten years. And the way that I had it scored, I had I had Floyd losing three of the first four rounds. And Madonna, he came out, my man came out with a game plan. I mean, he was throwing haymakers. He was, I mean, he was... <laughs> He was uh, throwing overhand uh, shots to the top of Floyd's head. I mean, this guy had a a game plan that we kind of saw Canelo come out against Mayweather, but Madonna was a little bit more effective. And I think the biggest thing that we saw in this fight is, is Floyd got cut. He got two cuts. He got one over his eye, and he got another one right underneath his uh, eye socket. And I can't remember the last time I've seen Floyd get touched up like that. And, you know, at least one of them came from an incidental headbutt, but it really didn't matter. I mean, we it, it was pretty clear, D, D. Wills, that he was shook up, you know, in the fourth or fifth round when, you know, he got that blood in his eye. It was almost like it was Harlem Globetrotters for the past 10 years, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, this, this got real. This got real. What were your thoughts, D. Wills? Yeah, so um, I got a few thoughts. Uh, sure. So I got a few questions for you. I got a few questions for you, PhD, um, in particular. Um, what is Floyd's greatest test? Yeah. Oh, y'all right? Do you have a few questions for me? Yeah, go ahead. How do you feel about this? Where does this rank as far as Madonna, as far as Floyd opponents, and who's tested Floyd the most in his, in well, his run? I would I would say that when it, when he first signed in to fighting, I felt like this was like I'm gonna show this young boy, my young my little brother, how you fight. 
And when he signed him, it was kind of like, you remember Rocky Three, where Rocky was trying to understand why they didn't want him to fight Clever Lane? And, <laughs> and he was like, you know, you know, talking about how he, you know, you know, this guy's a guy that just fights and, you know, you know, he, you know he'll knock it to the mile rock. That was what I thought. I was like, this cat don't know what he's signing up for. And the reason why I think it's one of his toughest fights is because what Madonna did was he didn't let Floyd set the pace. But what, you, what I loved about it, and I think what people have to start appreciating about Floyd, is what makes him so great. The adjustments he started making uh, yeah. was that he started going to the body. He started doing body work that started to – Floyd got patient. Because he, yeah. I think Phil said it right. He realized quickly this kid was not going away. And what made him, I think what, pe- what makes him so great is his ability to adjust. And so he started to bank on them body blows early. He said, I'm going to do this for the seventh round. And that's the kind of stuff that makes Floyd great. But this was his biggest test, I would say, in a long time because he, did not, he wasn't able to rest. Uh, in ways that he's able to control the tempo, because Madonna just yeah. wouldn't let it happen. Yeah, I would say Floyd made some outstanding adjustments. We even saw him in the later rounds go lefty yeah. for a good portion of, of at least one of the later rounds. Yeah. And, you know, we haven't seen Floyd do that until, you know, since he had a an injured right hand that he switched yeah. up. So, I mean, Floyd Floyd pulled out a bunch of tricks. I mean, and he kind of had to. It almost reminds me of, you know, I have two nephews. They both play, you know, college football right now. Um, they're both about three or four inches taller than me. And I recall there was a point, probably in about 10th grade or so, um, you know, I could always beat them in basketball. Then it got to the point where I really had to try really hard. Yeah. I mean, really hard. Like, I needed to stretch. I needed to, you know, drink Gatorade. I needed to um, do a whole lot of stuff to just win, okay? And and that's the point Floyd got to. Floyd, you know, he, he got to the point, and his dad in his corner pretty much said, you need to win this round. Yeah. And it wasn't a sense of panic, but I almost got the feeling that they were talking in code, like, listen, dude, you behind right now. And, you know, we're not going to clown here on TV and let everybody know what I'm trying to tell you, but you yeah. need to win this round. And from that point on, Floyd, you know, he just kind of shook his head. You know, Dad was like, you hear me? And Floyd was like, yep. And we saw a whole different fighter, man. I mean, yeah. it <laughs> Floyd, to be 37 years old, is in some kind of physical shape. Yeah. And to me, I'd love to see him get that 50-0 and pass Marciano. But at the same time, Father Time is catching up with him. Yeah. And if 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 that was Cotto three years ago, Floyd probably would have lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Madonna's a good fighter, but he's not in the same class as some of these other guys that mm-hmm. Floyd has beat soundly over the last five years. If mm-hmm. this was Haddon, I think Haddon beats him. So mm-hmm. part of me wants to see Floyd go out on top, but another part of me wants to see him get another two victories so that he can get to 50-0. and 0. But, but the one thing I love about it is he's not deaf anybody. He fight. He what he realizes is that I'm gonna try and find the right. I'm gonna get the. I'm gonna get the, this talent coming up because now I'm fighting for my legacy. 
So if you notice, he's standing there exchanging. He's taking blows. He's fighting because he realizes that it's not just getting 50, it's how you get these last few fights. It's that you putting yourself and you testing it. And that's what I appreciate about him. And that's why he brought his father back. Because to do that, he's got to be technically sound. Mm-hmm. He can't have any weaknesses in his game. Um, and I think people need to appreciate the fact that, and that's why I say when you watch Access and before that 24-7, turn the volume down and just watch his actions. This guy's mm-hmm. never out of state. He is, yeah. And that's what Bowler can learn from him. That he is, when it comes to boxing, totally professional. You know, between him and B-Hop, they always focus on their game. Never out when it comes to that craft. And yeah. he used all of it, the uppercut, the everything else. I mean, he's like a John Wooden of boxing, meaning that we, we fight when we fight. We make people adjust to our styles. We don't study other people. We got a style. We make you play our game. And uh, he's a master. He's, and, he, and his next couple fights are going to be big ones. They're going to be big money fights, yeah. and they're going to be a test. Before it was landing, in some rounds, 60 to 70% of his punches. Yes. I mean, it. <laughs> you know, Madonna came pretty close to, to, to landing more punches in him. I think Madonna was like a 208 and Floyd was around yes. 220. But then you look at the precision. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. precision. You know, Madonna yeah. around 20, 25% and here Floyd is approaching 60%. 50%. You know, when you look at that, and I, you know, I had it scored at, oh man, I believe it was one sixteen, one twelve. I had one sixteen, one twelve. Okay, I had a little bit closer then. I had a one fifteen, yeah. one thirteen. I had three rounds even. So, Ed Lover had one sixteen. Ed Lover had one sixteen, one twelve. Shout out to Ed Lover. Mm. <laughs> I'm in alignment <laughs> with Gray Ed Lover. <laughs> yeah. Stop it. So, I didn't so I didn't a rematch? A rematch, you think? Uh, no, because I think there's too many other money fights out there. In the Flurry sweepstakes, if you don't get in, you got to fall to the back of the line. I think there should be a rematch, but I think there's too many other big money fights. You probably got Garcia could come up. You got Amir Khan on the undercard. You got, uh, I think, Pacquiao uh, comes back into motion for one more big fight. The fight over Bradley might put Pacquiao back in this. Uh, you got B-Hop talking about 50 for 50. Now, I would do the B-Hop fight, but, you know, you got a whole bunch of people out there that he could fight. Um, you got uh, Keith Thurman. What, is that right, name? You got some good young cats out there that are big money fights. So I, I think it could be a rematch, but I think the way this is going, you get one shot. If you don't make it happen, between now and 50, you, 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 you go into the back of the line. Let something crazy happen. Yeah. Well, that's our boxing minute, uh, D-Wills. You know we got to get cousin Doug yes. Fisher on and also Teron Briggs on. Yes. Uh, we'll send it back to you, Game Changer. All right, all right. I had to sit that one out for a minute and let these cats go at it. These guys are boxing aficionados. So sometimes you, you just got to sit back and let the teachers teach it and take some notes and pick up a few things or two. Uh, all guests are brought to you on the Fredericks Accounting Gateway. Uh, Fredericks Accounting. Uh, hit them up. They were is a national accounting service where clients get comprehensive support for their business and personal accounting needs. 
Frederick's accounting, the official account of RSG. Tell them the real sports guys send you, and they'll help you out, hook you up, get your job done. All right? So, fellas, we're going to transition and jump into this funky editorial. Like we always do about this time, the funky editorial is brought to you by On the Rock in Rockford, Illinois. Great establishment, great people, great food. Make sure you check out our man Craig Stockwell. Uh, it's a great atmosphere, great food. Hit them up. Tell them RSG sent you. Tell them you heard about On the Rocks from the Real Sports guys. I'm sure he's got a great deal. Matter of fact, we got to talk about Craig about getting an RSG sandwich. That's <laughs> we right. got to get sandwiches up in there. Some, some RSG that's specials. Right. You feel me? That's the next. That's the next move, D. Will. That's the next move right I'll, there. I'll, so when people come in and they say, "Get me what you talk." Yes. That's right. Yeah, so when people come in and they say, you know, we heard about On the Rocks at RSG, you know, Craig can say, well, do you want the game changer? Do you want the D-Wheel? Do you want the PAC? You know what I mean? That's good. That's good. So, Mark, you know what, what would your sandwich be? I mean, what would your sandwich be? Ooh, The man. game changer, Ooh. what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm ready. Mine, mine would be like a combo. Mine would be like a combo. So, you know, I got the cat. <laughs> the catfish sandwich there was real hot, and I love catfish. Like, that's, that is a key ingredient to my last meal, all right? Fried catfish is a key ingredient to my last meal. So I, I want the fried catfish sandwich, the pickles, the mayo, uh, a little tartar mm. sauce in there, lettuce, uh, some red onions. That's my sandwich. On the side, I want a side of spaghetti. I mean that 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 uh that grandma spaghetti, not not that uh <laughs> not not, right. not the Olive Garden spaghetti. I want the grandma right. spaghetti with that little barbecue tang to it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, with a, maybe maybe even maybe even a neck bone or two in there. You know what I'm saying? To keep it right, you know, give me give me some butter. Some butter, garlic, asparagus on the side, and we great. Mm. Oh my <laughs> and we great. Wow. That's, 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 yeah, that's that's the game changer right there. That's the game changer right there. <laughs> right, keep it hood and keep your stand, okay? <laughs> hey, hey, you know what I mean? That that's that's one for the that's one for the ages. There, you gotta enjoy that. You gotta let that marinate for a minute. I mean, you gotta sit down with some time. You can't uh you can't try and pick that up on your lunch. You gotta you gotta make mm. it a long lunch. Well, what you looking at, PhD? What you looking at for your sandwich? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm gonna go with a burger. I'm gonna go with a burger. Um, feel free to substitute with a turkey burger. Okay, feel free. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm gonna go with a burger. Ideally, char broils. Okay. Mm. Um, mm. with and the key thing is gonna be a fried egg. Oh, burger, oh yeah. Fried egg. Um. Two or three types of cheeses, and we're not going okay. with a bun. We are going with Texas-style French bread. Okay, okay. real okay. stuff. That I'm feeling you know. Yeah, I'm feeling you. That's what, to the roof of your that's mouth. what we're going with. Yeah, with the side bread, we're going to go with some blazing, blazing beans. Okay, okay. Um, nice. And I'm not talking about bushes, bacon beans. Although those are those are tasty and delicious. Um, but something like you said, it's got a little team, a little barbecue in it, and a little bit of bacon, okay? Mm. A little bit of bacon, yeah. And then yeah, we can I'm finish it off with a couple of different things. You know, we can go with French fries if you want to. 
a week ago with uh, mashed potatoes. Um, but we will also go with a side of sweet potatoes. Okay, yes. yeah. Candy grams. Yeah, That's boy. It. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, boy. That's the PhD. D. Wills, unveiling. What's, what's, what's your dish? We got we to we yeah, write these down and put them to Craig. <laughs> Yeah, I, I go back to the world. You took my test, but I, I, I would, uh, I, I'd go, it, it would be, um, I'm health conscious now because it would have been a burger, but I, I'm, I'm going to go with a chicken sandwich, but it's got to have applewood bacon. <laughs> and I'm going to have, it's got some barbecue sauce. You do lettuce, tomato, onion, however you want to do it. Up to you. Wait, 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 D-Wood, uh, you said you was health conscious, dog. <laughs> You know, and then uh lettuce, tomato, however you want to do it, uh, in terms of yourself. But then this is how I think I'm gonna go with the uh the sweet potato fries. Mm. But you just think that that in uh, you, you can you, you got your choice, but you know I, I like to get some little Thousand Island sauce or something like that that you dip with, um, and then uh, I gotta have a dessert with it. So I went from health class a little. You gotta have some some uh, red velvet cake. Now, if you're really health conscious, uh, uh, then uh, I, I apologize for you, but um, I, I try to give you the chicken. So, Listen, if, if you're too health conscious, just know uh, Craig probably got something for you. He probably has something for you because he's a cat that's prepared for everything and he runs a quality establishment. But don't order nothing off the RSG menu if you're health conscious. Just know we ain't getting down right. like that. That's your cheat name. That's your cheat name. Seriously. Right. Seriously. It ain't for everybody, all right? <laughs> So you know, if you health conscious, don't come, don't come in and ask me for RSG special because you know this is this is this is a special. This is special, so you gotta you gotta come with it. You gotta come with it. You gotta be ready to grow, ready to throw down. You know, you gotta again, you gotta set aside some time, and you not only have to set aside the time to actually eat the meals, but you're gonna have to set aside some time when the itis sets in. <laughs> That's right. So you're gonna need about 30 minutes afterwards to get your power nap in. You know, and then head back to the office or, or back to the crib or wherever wherever you need to go. So make sure you hit up Craig though on the rocks, Rockford, Illinois. Again, fabulous establishment, good food, good people, good music, wonderful joint. So make sure you check them out. This is the funky editorial. Jump right into it, fellas. The one thing we need to say: Shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, right. Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, sit. Everybody want to get funky one more time. This is this. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. You are now in the midst of the funky editorial. Uh, we're going to jump off talking about the NBA, the NBA playoffs. Now, the competition has been amazing, had been amazing, and then controversy struck. Uh, and whether it was real controversy or fake controversy, it was controversy nonetheless, depending upon how you feel about it. 
I'm sure we all have some very interesting takes. We're all very thoughtful brothers. Um, first, I want to start with the whole Donald Sterling situation. We didn't have a show last week, so we didn't really get to dig into this while it was hot on everybody's mind. But I think that's even better because we've had time to let it marinate. We've had time to let it play out and develop. Um, first off, PhD, just what was your initial kind of gut reaction to the report in regards to Donald Sterling? I couldn't believe it at first. Um, not that, not that we still have people in this country that think like this guy thinks and feels the way this guy feels, but that he was called recorded <laughs> saying these things. It to me that was, I mean, that is the most incredible part of this whole story. I I walked away, you know, being shocked. But at the same time, I was impressed with the sheer unity throughout the league in regards to the the all-time greats like your Shaqs, your Barclays, even Jordan, um, coming out and taking a stand and having something to say. I was really happy with the current players, with some of the things that we found out that they were being, you know, that they had planned. Uh, many of them came out and, and made very strong statements. It made me feel like we were back in the day that we've heard of where you had socially conscious players, uh, athletes, you know, like your Jim Browns, your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, your Muhammad Ali's. And if you think about it, being socially conscious is almost like, I mean, it's to the point now where it's cool. You look at pop media, you look at guys like Kanye West, uh, Common, guys that are, in general, talking about more than money, cars, and women, uh, for the most part. And you're starting to see athletes kind of take this lead and having things to say. LeBron James is the biggest star in the game, and he came out and said some very strong statements. Um, And he led his team to make one of the strongest unified protest after the lead of the Clippers. If this were to be 25 years ago, Michael Jordan, like you say, Republicans buy shoes too. Michael Jordan is not going to step up and say something. And this is not a criticism of Jordan. I think it's more of a, um, a statement of where we are as a society and the expectations that we put on our stars now. Um, so, again, I'm an internal optimist. And those are the things that I took away from the process. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you on a lot of those sentiments. Um, you know, for me, in situations like that, you know, I, I, I always kind of take a step back and look at the big picture, um, take a long view, and watch how other folks outside the situation respond to the responses. You feel me? So how do people react? to the Clippers demonstration? How do people react to the clip, uh, to the heat um, and their, their form of protest? Um, and really kind of looking at how do people respond in those situations? Um, and for me, what was uh, really interesting and really, you know, there were a couple of things. One was a lot of people were criticizing the uh, intensity of the players' response. And to me, that's just, it, it, that's real easy to do when you're not in that situation, 
when it's not your livelihood that's on the line, when it's not, uh, when it doesn't affect you directly, as directly as it did the players. It's easy to say they should have just right off boycotted. They should have just done this. They should have not showed up. They should have not gone on court. It's easy to say that. But the thing that I would ask people is, you know, when something goes wrong at your job, when something goes left at your job, when somebody does something to offend you, do you just not show up the next day? You know what I mean? How strong is your protest? You got a mortgage to pay. You got bills, you know, to put on. You got a car note that's coming due uh, at some point during the month, as do these players. And so, and also, this is the uh, prime time of the year. So it's very yeah. difficult for them to just up. And this isn't game 47 in, you know, the middle of January where they can just not show up. And, you know, and so I think it's it, it, it's a bit unfair to, to, you know, really come hard at, the players, because they were put in a very, very, very tough spot. And, again, this is yeah. their livelihood. This is their life's work. This is what they've worked for for the last seven, eight months. This is the time that they've been working for. And for them to forfeit a game, give up a game in this particular situation, it's going to take a lot of talking and a lot of thought um, on the part of everybody involved. And it can't be a, a, rash, a rash decision. So that's, to me, uh, one piece of it. The other piece that, you know, I want to I wanna take a moment and just talk about for a second is, you know, the overreaction to likening to what Donald Sterling said to the NBA players and characterizing NBA players as modern-day slaves. That mm-hmm. is something that I find offensive um, in the sense that, Slaves didn't get paid, man. I, I think that's the thing. That, that, that cheapens what slavery actually was, okay? You know, slaves weren't paid. They weren't admired. They were subjugated to subhuman status. To act like this, anything close to that, is just short-sighted and, and ridiculous. Like, so there, were some, there were some folks on social media who were having those kind of conversations around the situation, you know, talking about, you know, professional sports is modern-day slavery. Slaves wish they had it like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't cheapen what happened to our ancestors and compare it to million-dollar athletes who get handsomely compensated. I mean, you know, my wife asks a question all the time. You know, is this person really worth $10 million a year? I mean, is that what this person is really worth? You know what I mean? So, you know, slaves didn't get paid anything. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So let's not let's not go there. And then the other reaction that, and, and you know, Bomani Jones, uh, who is a great follower on Twitter, he's very active. He tweets like every 30 seconds. But <laughs> he's a great follower on Twitter if you're not following him on Twitter. He also has some great points. If you haven't caught his show, Highly Questionable with Dan Lippertard, uh, he, he always has some very poignant points. And one of his main points was, this isn't even the most racist thing Donald Sterling has ever done. This is a bigoted right. thing, but when you're thinking about racism, you have to take it a step further and go macro level, big picture. His comments don't make him a racist. Him discriminating against people living in certain part, certain certain places in his housing establishments and the property that he owns on his real estate, that is racist. 
right? That is racist, and that is racism in, in its true essence. When not only do you hold these thoughts and opinions about a certain group of people, but then you purposely act to limit their access to, quote-unquote, I'm using air quotes, the American dream, so to speak, uh, limiting where they can live, limiting where they can work, limiting where they can uh, go to school. That's true racism. And that's what Donald Sterling has engaged in for a long time. Now, what made the NBA act on this particular incident? I think, one, you had a, a perfect storm. You had a new owner, a new, I'm sorry, a new commissioner who, for better or for worse, uh, this was a watershed moment for him um, and a moment that was going to define the early part of his tenure as commissioner. Uh, and two, so you had a, a contingency of, of folks. You had it happen during the playoffs where everybody's watching it. And what happened to be a very exciting and uh, highly entertaining playoff. And then three, you had sponsorship dry up immediately. Yep. And, you know, in, in the in the fact that you had, I think that this was Milwaukee. I think the situation may have gotten handled a little bit differently. Um, maybe not completely differently, but I think that may have, it, it, it may have gotten handled a little bit differently. But you cannot have sponsors pulling out in your second biggest market in the NBA as far as Los Angeles. You know what I mean? You can't have you know this happening right now during the playoffs. You need to make this go away. And I think that is is what really pushed the NBA to really move on something that I think a lot of owners had wanted to move on um, a long time ago in pushing out Donald Sterling. Um, but unfortunately, Captain Litigation, uh, he, he litigates everything. So I think those, are some, those were some of my takeaways from the whole situation. I thought the commissioner did what he needed to do. Um, you know, I thought he acted appropriately. You know, I thought he uh, he punished him to the full-out extent of, of – and I wouldn't even say punished because he's not really being punished, right? That's the other thing. People are looking for punishment and, like, well, making him sell the team, how is that a punishment? It, it, you, one thing you have to understand is the NBA is not acting to punish him. The NBA is acting to protect their investment as a conglomerate of businessmen. You feel me? It's not about punishing Donald Sterling. It's about, again, this is a key team, a key franchise in our second biggest market, and sponsors are pulling out because of you. We can't have that. You know, he got to get right. kicked out the co-op. <laughs> you know, if this is the wire, he's got to go. You know, he's going to have to snoop a Chris <laughs> send it out in front of his and He's going to wind up in a vacant because he's messing up the money. Vacant, this ain't yeah. about no punishment. This ain't about justice or right or wrong. This is about you hurting the bottom line of the business, bro. Right? You can feel however you want to feel, but when this stuff gets out into the public, then we have to respond and we have to react in a way because you're messing up the money. So, you know, we got a vacant with your name on it, and we're going to have to lock you down, bro. And that's what you see with, uh, with, with, with the reaction from the NBA with Sterling, is that it wasn't so much about justice or social justice, from the NBA's perspective, from Adam Silver's perspective, it, it, it was more about, again, you messing up the money, dog. You know, you got people covering up their sponsorships, you know, and we can't have that. Again, if this is Milwaukee, okay, maybe maybe we can figure something out. You know, it's not, it's not a real money maker. But when you got buying real estate and you, you coming up, you're you going to start coming up short because 
or you bring in the heat, you bring a police attention around, well, then we got to do something about that. We might have to, we might have to shift your, we have to shift management, you know, because we can't have prime real estate coming up short. So I think that was that's that was my takeaway. D. Wills, uh, what was your perspective on the situation? First of all, you know, I, I'm so glad uh, we're having this conversation and just hearing both of you talk about it, you know, says a lot about why I love doing the show um, with both of you and your perspectives. Um, and, and this is what we try to add, I guess, to the conversation um, because it, these are important issues that drive uh, our society. Um, and I think y'all done a really good job. And so I'm going to take a little bit different angle. What I, what I love about this is, um, it showed that the NBA has done this great work across generations. You know, one of the things about the NBA that they've done is that there's this connection um, between the elders and the new players in a way that I don't see often in the other leagues, um, in a real intimate way, where you see LeBron hugging Bill Russell and understanding who he is when, you know, when you see them beat, Charlotte and everybody goes over and shakes Michael's hand and there's this 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 reverence for people who are um, uh, who are part of these early generations that allow for them to respond in multiple ways um, and you know they called on them to help them work through this situation that's one thing another thing and then it's a weird thing but I think uh, the hip hop heads out here will understand is. We also owe things to people like Dad's Dad Prez, to live. All these folks who travel to these small college towns, did concerts at Yale and Harvard and Stanford, that work with cats who are now brand managers, who are now vice presidents, who are now owners, because there's a different context happening. With you know, if you watch when Adam walked to the to the uh, to the podium, he kind of flipped. He tipped to the podium. He, got, he, he, he came to the podium with a different kind of step. But part of it is he really has some powerful relationships. You could tell it. Even though he knew he was making a reaction to all the things that they Marcus, uh, you, I mean, game, you put the same thing on that film. There was something that he was also deeply connected to because it was part of his own experience that I think is important to people who are now decision makers. And I think that's what Donald Sterling underestimated. When he's talking about Magic Johnson, he would think about Magic the player on the court. He would think about Magic the CEO, the Magic who is the owner of a uh, of a story franchise in the biggest one of the biggest markets in America, who calls on the same people he calls on. He would think about he was messing with LeBron Inc. Where there's not this separation between the field and corporate America like it was back in the 70s and 80s. In fact, when when these corporate people have events or LeBron has events, he's connecting and interacting with CEOs. Uh, they see each other as business partners. And that level of interconnectivity that particularly happens in basketball allows for this to, have, to happen. And I think it was good for some of the young cats, these college kids. You got to think about all the stuff that's happening in college. Some of the stuff to really think about how these players react. And I'm really be interested to, to see the ripple effect that comes out of this in the way that they reacted. But there's so many things, seeds that were planted 10, 15, 20 years ago that also led to this moment that will continue to change, particularly in the area of basketball because it's such a global sport, cultural 
phenomenon that's been a part of basketball, the underlayer, for at least 10, 15 years that has shaped people who are now in power, who are now leaders, who are, who are um, uh, owners, uh, in a way that um, was able to percolate coming out of uh, this incident. Very well said. Very well said. And I, wanted, uh, I think we all hit on some great points. And it was it, it was a, a a great great coming together and showing amongst the players. Um, one team obviously was affected more than the other teams, and that team was the Clippers. And I want to transition mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about some of the individual teams and and some of the uh, the things that are going on in the playoffs, in particular on the court. Um, the Clippers uh, had a very very tough series with the Golden State Warriors. Went to seven games. They were able to pull it out. Um, they took the first game against the uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder last night. Chris Paul went bonkers. Um, I had to hit up Justin Page on Twitter and just let him know <laughs> CP3 is the best point guard. <laughs> oh my goodness! In the NBA, um, and I think whatever information vibes Justin put out in the universe about. Russell Westbrook possibly dethroning CP3 from that 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 title. Um, CP3 may have got wind of and is 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 sending uh, subliminals at Justin right now. With every every three was just a shot, just a dagger, just bang, take that. My phone, bang, my phone that was blowing up, man. Y'all are killing me. It was three of going back and forth. Twitter was. Yeah, yeah it, it was going down, man. Phone. It was going oh, down. My it was going down. So before we get into the Clippers, though, the Golden State Warriors today fired Mark Jackson. And I don't understand. Sometimes, you know, I love the NBA, but sometimes the coaching, the way coaching works in the NBA, I haven't been able to get a solid read on. Um, you know, coach of the year is almost like a, a dead man walking tag. I mean, they usually wind up losing their job within a year of receiving the award. I mean, good coaches get axed all the time. Um, you got people talking about Frank Vogel losing his gig, which we can get into in a little bit. You know, Mark Jackson coaches a 50-win team, and 50 wins is a pretty significant benchmark in the NBA, benchmark of success. And, you know, he gets canned. George Carl got fired last year. Lionel Hollins got fired last year, both after leading those particular franchises to the most successful seasons in franchise history, and then you fire that coach. I'm having a hard time with this, fellas. I'm having a hard time understanding this, how you can have that much success and be pushed out the door um, pretty much (laughs) willy-nilly, for lack of of a better term. Um, Is coaching that insignificant in the NBA? I mean, if a guy who wins 50 wins is just replaceable, I I have a hard time – truly believe in that. What is your perspective on the PhD? i tell you what. We may have a new theory. And this theory might be the Denver Nugget Theory. Okay. <laughs> Unveil it. The Denver Nugget Theory. Break it down. Mark the calendar. George Hall took the Nuggets to the playoff for how many consecutive years? I don't know. Six, seven however long it was, he wins the Coach of the Year Award. 
But guess what? They let him go because they're tired of being a fifth seed, a sixth seed, you know, an occasional three seed. Be okay with that. Be okay winning 50 to 55 games a year. Be okay having 30 to 40 sellouts a year. Be okay having a relevant team. Because guess what? I mean, Marcus, you, you said it before you got on air. And now with the seventh overall pick in the lottery, the Denver Nuggets. You know, I, I just have a hard time with these teams where they give up too quick on the coach. They give up way too quick. You look back in the 80s, and as the coach grew, the team grew. You know, when you look at Alex Smith in the NFL, one of the, you know, it doesn't take a genius to take a look and say, wait a minute, this young man, <laughs> he had five or six different offensive coordinators or head coaches right. during his first five or six years in the league. There was no continuity. You know, and then when you take a look at a bigger scale in terms of the entire team and not a specific player, you have all these different systems. We know in coaching, you know, whether it's psychology, counseling, coaching, managing, there are 53 different ways, you know, to skin a cat. And all 53 of those ways can work. But guess what? You need one for guys to buy in. Now, when you're switching up the recipe, you know, to that pound cake, you know, well, I want six eggs in it. Well, two years later, I want four eggs in it. Six months later, I want eight eggs. You know what, man? That cake is never going to taste as good as it can. It's not because at some point you just did better a repetition in making that cake where all of a sudden you figure out what you need to do to make it taste good. And the Denver Nugget theory is essentially saying let it breathe, let it grow, and understand who you are and be okay with that. Be okay that you may not win three championships in 10 years. But guess what? You may win one in 25 if you stick to the plan. I'm all for you on that, and I like that theory. I think that's, that's based on a sound premise. Uh, I think you have the research, to effective research to back up that theory. I'm down with that theory. And this is why I think ownership, particularly in the NBA, I think this is where the NFL – NFL franchises, some of the key franchises are a little bit further ahead of the curve than franchises in some other sports, and particularly basketball and baseball. And maybe it's because football, the way it's set up, it's just easier to, to do, but establishing an identity is in a, in a culture that's sustainable is great franchises have done it in football consistently whether it's the Raiders of the 70s, you know, they had a style, they had a culture, and they stuck with that. The Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s had a style, had a culture that they've stuck with for decades. I mean, not very much has changed as far as the expectation of what works for that franchise. The Chicago Bears with the defense, the Monsters of the Midway, defense has always been a staple of, of that franchises identity they're franchises that figure out a way and then they develop that continuity and they keep it they they they, they keep that they keep bringing in players that fit that style because they know they have a style that works and nba teams get so caught up in chasing i don't know what they're chasing in, in actuality honestly i don't but 
if you're winning 50 games a year, ultimately you're just one player away. I mean, it's what San Antonio has done consistently. That they've just kind of stayed. They they haven't been contenders every year over this 15 year span where they've won, you know, 65 percent of their games or whatever they won. But they've been in the mix and a player or two away every year. And again, you have a year like last year where Russell Westbrook gets hurt. You know, some some things go. Uh, a few teams get some teams get knocked out here or there and they find themselves back in the finals. And that's really all you should be trying to do is give yourself a shot that if you can't get there on your own merits, maybe some other people slip up along the way, and guess what? You find yourself in the finals. You find yourself with a shot. You know, that's what this is about just as much as it is about bringing in that one superstar that can carry you all the way. You know, finding that right group of guys that can keep you in the mix until you get that player is also just as important because now you've got chips and pieces where you can go out and get that guy if you need that one more that, that one more player. But if for some reason, teams just don't value that. Um, I'm, I'm down with the Denver Nuggets theory. D. Wills, what is your perspective on the Mark Jackson firing? Well, I, I put something up on our, on our Tumblr. You can, you can check it out, Real Sports Guys, on Tumblr. And uh, on, it's also on Facebook and um, you can go to realsportsguys.com and, and get to those things. But I started out the, the, the blog by saying, unless you're in New York, Chicago, Miami, L.A., this is your formula. Develop a philosophy as an organization of how you want to play. Find your coach who can match that philosophy. You'll get your stars and stay committed to it. That's the key. Utah did it. San Antonio is doing it. And knowing that you can be in it every year. And stay in your lane. When you go and stay, you weren't even relevant. When they say on basketball-wise, I don't want to repeat that. You weren't relevant. Mark Jackson <laughs> made you relevant. And then you Get excited because you think you L.A. Now, I was just in the Bay Area. got a lot of love for my people up there. I feel sorry for them. They came out in church. They, they often got a lot of energy. And you got a coach that players play for, and you let the politics of it, whatever's happened organizationally, which means that some people who are not very strong and committed to something, you let whatever that is push him out. And he's going to end up landing somewhere else, and you're going to be scrambling. And your superstar is probably looking around like, what's going on? You have to know who you are. Get in your lane. Denver, you got Denver. Denver, Colorado, great place. But it ain't always a destination. If you get a, if you get a star and you get a coach who people want to play for, free agents want to play for, that's half the battle. Players like Mike, Mark Jackson. He's popular with players across the league. Free agents come up, they will come and play because he's coaching. You've got to know who you are. And too many of these owners think they're in L.A., think they're in New York, think they get, that you're not that. And so you're going to end up back in the lottery, and you're going to be wondering why. I, mean, I don't understand this stuff. Now, y'all know I'm not a big George Kyle fan, but George Kyle did what he needs to do for Denver. You were relevant. 
Now, you know, I know you got your job there, but you're not relevant. You, you're not out here playing. You're in the lottery. You try to figure out what you're going to do. When you had a coach who had you competing every – and this would have been the year you could have competed because Lakers are down. Everybody's jockeying for position. You could be to Portland. So these teams just forget that they always look at L.A., New York. They always look at Chicago, Miami. But look to San Antonio. Look to Utah back in the day. Look to Memphis before they lost their mind. To Indiana before they lose their mind. That you can build right. a solid organization and be in there. They just forget it. It's like people didn't even watch what the bad boy story was about. They went through iterations, but the one constant was they had their core group of stars, and they had that they had that they had that coach and that GM, and they were uh, closely connected. You can still do that today. Yep. Yeah, I think. I, th- I think you raised some great points. And if you haven't seen the uh, 30 for 30 on the bad boy Pistons, you're missing out. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? You ain't got DVR? It's 2014, all right? <laughs> you got to catch it. It is, it is, it is uh, a basketball junkies. It's red velvet cake on your TV. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's that good. It's that what is good. wrong with you? Twitter right. Jack, Jack gave you the formula. He gave it to you. Trinidad yeah. gave you the formula. Well, see, I liken it, it to the era in hip-hop around the late 90s when Big and Puff got hot with that formula of taking, you know, recognizable samples and flipping them, and then you had yeah. that everybody wanted to do a Hype Williams million-dollar video. Well, yeah. if you're mob deep, probably not. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> if you're the locks, if you're the locks, probably not. Yeah, you, you can't have no shiny like, suits. Right, no shiny suits. You know what I'm saying? There's, everybody <laughs> can't be Biggie and Puff, you know, with the fish fish eye lens in the million dollar video. You know, some of you guys have a different look about you, and you gotta. You, some some teams need to realize you're more mob deep, you're more the clips, push your teeth. You know what I'm saying? Then you are Kanye, and. You know, that doesn't mean Pusha can't rap. That doesn't mean Pusha T isn't a great MC. He just isn't – he's not going to be, you know, presenting awards at the at the Grammys. You know, they're not going to ask him to come up and present. They, they, they're not going to ask Kanye no more either because he don't know how to act. But – and there was a time where they – I mean, there was a time where they would have. <laughs> I mean, he kind of messed that up for himself. But there was a time where he was big enough where they would have asked him to come up and pre- present an award. You know, but so many teams get caught up in trying to – be fit into that one mode as if there's one way to get it done and not realizing that there are a lot of ways to, to, to do this. And to transition slightly, you see you brought up Indiana and how things fell apart quickly there. And at the level of coaching that is the NBA coaching, that is NBA coaching, you, I think it gets undervalued at how important and how vital it is to be able to manage personalities and get guys to buy in and give, get the best out of those guys. And unfortunately, that was something that Mark was really good at. Mark Jackson was really good at getting Draymond Green to feel good about diving on the floor for a loose ball for 10 minutes a game. You know, he was, he was great at making Jermaine O'Neal feel good about coming in for 11 to 12 minutes and just fouling the daylight out of people. 
That's what you need in a coach. That's what Frank Vogel is struggling right now because he can't get, you know, George Hill and Roy Hibbert to feel good about their roles. That's what makes a team. You know, I say it all the time. The first job of coaching is to make a team. Otherwise, right. why are you there? You know, that is the first job as a coach is to make a team. And if the team is not functioning together, that's on the coach. And so Mark Jackson had guys playing together. Now, they, they're throwing a lot of stuff out there. They didn't like The ownership didn't like his offense. Steph Curry, your franchise player, had his best, the best season of his career in that offense. I think you might want to stick with it, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? If your franchise player is maxing out their potential in a particular system, then you roll with That's that. Right. That's the only reason Dan Tony got hired to the Lakers is because they were bringing in a guy who flourished in his system, and Steve Nash, and they wanted to maximize that particular investment in that particular player. Now, it backfired on them because they didn't think about the rest of their roster when they did it, but they had – there was some sound thought underneath all of that. They didn't think it all the way through and flesh it out. But at the core of what they were trying to do, it, there was some sense to it. There's no sense to what Golden State is doing. And, and, and that brings us to the Indiana Pacers, who are another team who was in that situation where they're looking at possibly getting rid of their coach. Now, in this situation, I think it's more just than it is in the Golden State situation um, because this is a situation where, Things have gone sideways, and I really don't think you can come back next year with the same group of guys and the same coach and expect it to get better. Not without some intense therapy over because <laughs> something's wrong with them boys. Something's wrong with them boys. They're gonna be the first. They're gonna be the first team with a sports psychologist on the bench for every game. Seriously, we may have to tweak. I know, Phil, this is your this is your brainchild. We may have to tweak the Roy Hibbert theory because <laughs> he's added new dimensions to this, man. Yeah, <laughs> he's well, taking this Roy Hibbert theory. I mean, he's taking it to another level. Why, why, uh, PA, why don't you enlighten me on what you what you what is your impression of Roy right now? What's Roy? What's what's what is bothering Roy right now? We we gonna let you breathe on this one, man. Do your thing. Well, Roy reminds me of, again, we knew it didn't quite smell right. We knew it had a good taste. It made us remember, you know, those good meals at Grandma's house, but there was always something missing, too much salt, not enough salt. There was always something missing. You know, in the words of Jay-Z, he's all right, but he's not real. That's the first point. The second point is that this guy has lost his confidence. And worse, his team and his coaching staff has lost confidence in him. I, I compare this somewhat to an Alex Rodriguez three or four years ago in the playoffs where you have a guy who, who literally was the MVP of the league just a year ago. He was an all-star for that year. Uh, he may have been in the top five of the MVP race that year. And all of a sudden, the coach has to take him out the lineup or bat him eighth instead of his normal third or fourth in the lineup because emotionally he's so damaged, you know, based on everything that's going on. Now, to the Indiana Pacers defense, I will say that they were in the same position. I'm going to say this again. They were in the same position as the Spurs, a one seed 
getting pushed to the limit, as in Game 7, to an 8 seed. But for some reason, it felt different. It felt different. Now, we can say, well, the Spurs, they could still be having these issues that the Pacers had, but they kept it in-house. You know, and so now there's all this media scrutiny. It's all this going on. Okay, I think that's real convenient. I think for some reason we give the Spurs, like we gave them a hall pass. We really did. These dudes was about to lose in the first round to the AC. But because they won championships, you know, we're not giving them all the bad press and criticisms that we're giving Indiana because Indiana has not proved them, proven themselves as a unit. And I think deep down we knew that San Antonio was going to win. Now, they produced the same result as San Antonio. They've won. They won their first-round series. But we just don't feel good about them. It's almost like the Roy Hibbert uh, theory applies to this whole team right now. They just don't feel right. They're a one seed, but they just do not feel right. Now, I will tell you, I want to see the Miami Heat go 3 P. I I really do. And I still feel like the only team in the East, that has the ability and the potential to beat them is Indiana. So I was I was with Justin Page all week, uh, you know, cheering with him over Tech because I wanted to see Atlanta beat Indiana for that reason. I almost feel like if Indiana, if they've endured as much as they've endured, perhaps they've grown closer. Perhaps this adversity will make them stronger. That was my theory going into game one. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we know what happened yesterday. Right. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm feeling you, man. I'm feeling you. And I, I had that same thought that, you know, wait a minute. San Antonio's a one seed, and they're in a game seven against an AC. But why do I not feel so bad about that? <laughs> right. I mean, it was a question that I was asking myself. I was like, wait a minute. This is game seven. We won an eight. Oh, I didn't even really – I wasn't really – San Antonio's going to win, though. You know what I mean? That's how I felt about the whole situation. But the Indiana situation felt painfully different. And because you felt like you were watching – you were watching a family fall apart. You know what I mean? Like you were watching a family, like, argue. And it's just like one of those situations, you know, I work in a school and every now and then you're sitting in a meeting with parents and the kid and people just start going back and forth and you're like, I should probably just step out of the room for a minute and let y'all figure this out. You know what I mean? It's one of those awkward situations. And that's what you felt like you were watching with the cases. You were watching a family prepare to split up. Um, And this was the last argument. Where this was the this was that one fight that was just like you know what from here on out yeah there's no coming back from this if this goes left you know with that game seven and with that series with uh with Atlanta um, I think the other thing is that Atlanta won 34 games and was without their best player um, and they were pushing a one seed to seven games I think that was the other piece with the Atlanta Indiana series where it's like. And I know Justin doesn't want to hear this, but Atlanta just they won 34 games and they didn't have the best player. And you're the one seed. This should be this should you should be doing to them what Miami did to Charlotte, which was hey, thank you for coming. Uh, glad you guys are here. 
Now go home. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. That's what that series should have been. Whereas the Dallas Mavericks won 49 games. Yes, they were AC, but they won 49 games. Which, again, we talked about this earlier. 50 is kind of the watermark for success uh, in the NBA. And they were one game below that. So they weren't a slouch. And in most years, that's probably a second-round matchup where you get, you know, that's probably a four or five seed rather than an eight in most years. So you can kind of give San Antonio a little bit of a pass, but this Indiana situation is just, again, I, I, how do you feel about it, D. Wills, and do you think Vogel loses his job? Even well, if they make it to the – what do you think is going to be the key that makes Vogel lose his job? Is it – is he no, safe I, I think at all? He's got to make it the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I think mean, he's got to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but, you know, I think part of the problem, the reason why it's so different about San Antonio, because they're like Mayweather. You know every fight is going to be, you know, here on out, is going to be, a, you know, a 12-rounder. You know, you know it's going to be that kind of fight. So they're going to win, but when they used to knock you out, they're just going to outpoint you. That's how I felt about San Antonio. Whereas uh, Indiana's kind of like Broner. Up and coming, but you ran into Madonna and Foles. And when it gets tough, do you really got the heart to gut down and fight? And all that talk you did, but now when it's time to really go up some adversity, now everybody's jumping ship. And the reason why Vogel's going to lose his job is because if you watch some of these other series, some, tracks went to the, some coaches sent people to the bench. Like, we ain't got time for it. Whereas he tried to coddle Hibbert. Whereas he should have just gone to the bench and found catch and ready to play. And that's why he might lose his job. It's not just that. But at a certain point, you got to be like, we're going to be doing this in the offseason. We ain't got time. we got to figure out how to win. And you've seen Doc Rivers do it over the years. You've seen Pop do it over the years. You've seen other coaches uh, in these early rounds make that. I mean, even – Kevin Kell fell, but he made some adjustments. I mean, at a certain point where you can't coddle anymore. You show up and play and rebound a block dot, start on the bench. Because this is about winning right now. And that's why he's going to lose his job. You know, catfish or whatever's going on over there, y'all got to get past that. Well, he's going to lose his job. He's going to lose yeah. his job because Mark Jackson. Because Mark available. Jackson is now the market. <laughs> He's available. Right. He's available. Right. Yeah. So, and, and does Steve Kerr, does Steve Kerr say, hey, Phil, I think I like this job a little bit better. I'm going to go over here. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> does Steve Kerr say thanks, but no thanks? Because if I'm him, I'd rather have Golden State's roster than New York's roster. Phil can be my guy and everything, but come on, Phil. You can see. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have a Steph Curry? No? Okay. You know what I mean? You got a Harrison Barnes. You got an Eagle Dollar. No? Well, then, you, you know, like, come on. This is common sense. Come on, man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. There, there's some coaches who who, uh, who might be firing up their resumes over the next week until this whole situation settles down with, uh, with uh, Mark Jackson. And, you know, he, he gets penciled in. He's a you know, I think most coaches are hoping he gets penciled in in L.A. or in New York. 
because um, then they're safe. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if I'm Steve Kerr, I might I might kind of renege on my uh, my uh, handshake deal with uh, Phil Jackson and say, hey, I'm gonna go coaching Golden State. I like that team better. Yeah, it's the West. And yeah, it's tougher. But I mean, they won. They did win 50 games. <laughs> You know, so another series that was a bit surprising in the first round, it wasn't necessarily surprising because they were two fairly evenly matched teams, but the star power on one team was much, much greater than the star power on the other team, and that was the Portland and uh, Houston matchup. D. Wills, from this, in this particular series, did you have any thoughts on this particular series uh, Portland and Houston um, yeah. went six games. Looked like it was gonna go seven, but then uh, Damian Lillard went went cold blooded and and bucked them out of it and eliminated the Houston Rockets. The point nine seconds left on the clock. What are your thoughts on that particular series? That that was a great battle, um, and it hardly come under some serious criticism. Um, and he's going to figure out how he's going to rebound from this in terms of, you know, leadership on both ends of the floor. Damian Lillard, that shot, when he hit that shot, uh, I was in the lobby, and folks just went crazy. Uh, I, I damn near dropped my food. And <laughs> this kid is ready to play. Um, and um, they are just coming together as a team. And, you know, I talked about Portland early on at the beginning of the year when we had our NBA, and I feel like they're a team to watch out for it. Um, because they got all the pieces. It's just a matter of learning how to and really growing to being a superstar, which he did. Um, but Houston's got some questions. And another thing, I mean, Kevin McKell loses a job. That's another – the folks have lost their mind again down there. But I, I think it's going to come – what I love about that series, though, it really came down to who And I think in Houston, they got some maturity. They got, they got to figure out how to stabilize and where they're going to get some things and some stops. But it is. Yeah, yeah I think we, I think Damian Houston, Lillard. I think. Go ahead. Go ahead, PAG. Yeah, Damian Lillard. I mean, <laughs> first of all, the first three or four games of that of that series, uh, Mar- Marcus Aldridge was was unbelievable. I mean, forty plus, <laughs> forty plus in the first two games. I mean, he was eating them up. Then all of a sudden, yeah. he got Lillard just just awaiting. So those two, I mean, like when you think about. Young duos in the league. You think of Lillard in terms of elite ones. Lillard and Aldridge. Think about Bradley Beal and John Wall. How about those Washington? Are they the Bullets? Are they the Wizards? What are they? They're the Bullets on this show. (laughs) Okay. If if the football team can be the Redskins, then they can be the Bullets. I've been looking forward to hear your analysis of the bullets. What are your thoughts? Um, lots of speed. 
Hey, I, I, they should just go back to that. I mean, like seriously, just be the bullets. I mean, that's a that's a great nickname. Anyway, um, bullets. What I like about the bullets, or my analysis of the bullets, um, the great speed on the perimeter. Um, two young guards. John Wall is coming to his own as a leader, most importantly, but also as yeah. a playmaker for others. Uh, the real linchpin and the real cog in the machine that makes them go. Is honestly, you know, Nene's been getting a lot of credit because of the work he did against Noah in the uh, Chicago series. But the guy that makes him tough to deal with is Trevor Ariza. That, he gives I told a great you, Lakers made a mistake. They did. Lakers they made did. A mistake. I told you that. They did. He gives them great defense, and he is shooting the three-point shot extremely well. I mean, he's giving them Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, um, West Matthews kind of production uh, from that three spot, and that stabilizes that 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 team because it gives them another shooter on the floor. Because John Wall, he's gonna have the ball, he's not a shooter. So then you got Beal running off screens doing his thing, but what happens is on the opposite side of the floor, you balance it out with Ariza and Martell Webster coming off the bench. Those guys can be interchangeable because they both shoot the three point shot really well. Now you know. It, it creates a situation where you have you can run some screen action for Beal on one side. On the other side, you can just put, you know, Ariza in the corner and allow John Wall to work one-on-one, and they really can't help. Because on one side, you got screen action. On the other side, you got uh, Ariza spotting up. The help can't leave him. So that might helps John Wall maximize his productivity. Or you can just run pick and roll with him and Nene. Now, Nene can roll or he can pick and, pick and pop. Uh, same with Gortat. So, in all those situations, right now, they have a good mix. They finally have figured out how to put together a good roster out there. It took them a while. They were a slow burn, they, but they've getting it, they got it together. The young pieces are starting to round into shape. And the thing about it is they still have another piece, another piece that they've got to develop. Now, he's had to sit out for a long time. You probably won't see him in this playoffs, but Otto Porter. You know, they had the number three draft pick this year. So, you know, small forward out of Georgetown. They developed him. You know, that gives them some more depth and another potential kid with some pretty decent upside that they can uh, add to the mix of Brad Beal and John Wong going forward and into the future. So, you know, the future is looking really good for Washington. Do I think they have a shot? Um, at possibly winning the title, not as they're com- uh, currently constructed. Um, if they can get anything out of Otto Porter, maybe. If he turns into a, a significant piece, maybe he can help them take a, a leap. Right now they're in that Atlanta Hawks territory um, where they are going to be a perennial or the Denver Nugget territory where they're going to be a perennial 48 to 50 win squad, be in a mix. Um, be a three to a five seed pretty much every year and have a shot. You know, if things go sideways for somebody else, they may be able to slip in and make a run to the conference finals and possibly to a finals. Um, but until they get that, or unless Brad Beal or John Wall kind of takes another step into another stratosphere and becomes a uh, top five, top six player in the league, they'll be good for it. They can be good for the foreseeable future. The next four to five years, they can be in the mix in the East and a team at least worth watching and worth talking about um, come playoff time. 
Um, but it's a good team. I mean, the thing that they got to start to look at now is how do they replace their bigs. Nene is on the other side of 30. Gortat's on the other side of 30. So figuring out, you know, where are they going to get some more size from um, and investing in some young bigs is the next thing that if I'm the ownership, I'm looking at so that, again, we can stay who we are. We're winning the way we are. How can we plug in new new versions of what we already have that works? That's what good teams do. That's what the Spurs have done over and over and over, is that they found Sean, they found like three different um, incarnations of Sean Elliott since he retired. You know what I mean? Like now Kawhi Leonard is manning that role. You know, Danny Green's playing that Mario Elliott role. You know, they have basically the same, you know, you got, you got Patty Johnson, uh, Patty Mills, I'm sorry, coming in and being that Steve Kerr kind of cat that they had when they won the championship in the early in the early two thousand when they were winning championships in the early two thousands. They have they figure out certain player types that work in their system and they go and find guys who fit that player type. You know what I mean? They don't just go out and get good players. Because all good players don't fit in all systems. And that's what Washington needs to make sure that they do. And all teams are you know, Toronto too. And that's another young team that's coming up that's had some success. They have to figure out how they can take the next step. But then they also have to figure out what kind of players fit in our system and how can we keep recycling got different guys who fit that bill in and out of the system. Um, that's really important to establish that identity. But I like the Bullets. I like what they do. I like what they bring to the table. Um, John Wall is turning it on and starting to live up to the, his billing as a number one uh, draft pick. And they, they got a shot to make it to the conference finals because, again, you put yourself in the mix. You're going against a one seed. You're not supposed to win. But, again, if you just put yourself in the mix, you never know what can happen. They couldn't have predicted that the Pacers were going to fall apart like this. Now they got a legitimate shot to make it to a conference finals with this group of, with this group of players. I don't think they even thought that that was possible at the beginning of the season. So, you know, again, the Denver Nugget theory holds true in, in this particular example. Just be in the mix and give yourself a shot, you know. Don't constantly be having this rotation of folks coming in and out of your organization. So I, like I, I want to add what I love about what, what I love about it is the addition of even Andre Miller, having them savvy right. vet in there right. helping youngins learn how to how to play, how to be professional. You can you can see the impact. And, and I said even before I joined Team John Wall, I had a chance to see him play in Atlanta, and I saw a difference. I mean, they were down. He brought him back, and he had an incredible overtime game down there. But I, I saw a different kind of John Wall in, in the way in which he's truly – they're kind of that, – that, that, that switch in, on, a, on a poor man's level when Isaiah realized that it wasn't just about the scoring, it was about the setup. And that's what you see John Wall move into, that setup mode. Yeah, is, yeah, and, and, really and, and that's where he's best. And that's where he's best, and that's where he's most valuable. Yeah, um, to his team is when he moves into that role as a setup man. Um, you know, I feel I, if I'm if I'm picking favorites in these series, you know, I, I have Washington favorite over um, Indiana. I got Miami favorite over Brooklyn. Uh, I got the Clippers right now. I got the Clippers favorite over Oklahoma City, um, and that's another situation that we got to get into. Where do they go next, Oklahoma City, if this doesn't work out? Um, you know, what, what's going to be next for them? I don't know. Because, uh, again, the narrative starts to switch on superstar players around year seven, year eight. If you haven't won a championship, people start to look at you a little different. And, you know, Durant is about to reach his expiration date. Um, 
every superstar comes with one as far as being a golden boy. Um, you know, everything's been all love with him. Now some of those, the, the boos and the uh, naysayers are going to start to get a little bit louder um, if that Oklahoma City team doesn't figure out how to uh, get back on track. What do you guys think? What, what do you think about the Oklahoma City situation? Quickly, D-Wheels, and then we got to get into uh, the XL Academics last word. Well, uh, you know, one of the things I think about uh, Oklahoma City, you know, so we just talked about sticking with your coach and, and doing what you need to do. I think one of the challenges they have is Brooks is not very imaginative offensively. Nope. Um, and he, he hasn't really made a lot of adjustments. And he's had a good run with this team. Um, and so he may be also a casualty of Mark Jackson. You know, you know, they might be hoping to get knocked out because, you know, Mark might be similar. So I think part of the problem he's had is that he hasn't found a way to get the continuity down the stretch. And, and one of the things I've the criticism I have of him is what I love about some of these coaches in the 80s is they, they understood how to add value to the second unit by leveraging their second star with that second unit. Dumars, second unit, Pippen with the second unit, um, in a way that I think could get Westbrook the kind of production but not have them running into each other. And I haven't seen that kind of imaginative kind of rotation stuff I think he could do because he has a personnel. So I think that's part of their problem. Uh, and then my biggest thing, and I think they're finding it with the Clippers, is you, you have to, and I don't care who does it, you have to have somebody who can command something in the post. On a regular, on a basis, whether it's Durant getting down there and passing out of it, or Westbrook getting down there, but doing something that makes it easier for you to get shots. Um, and I don't see any of that kind of stuff. And so, I, I think that you know, if they don't win, if they don't beat the Clippers, I think it's going to be a coaching change. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, you listen to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. We uh, thick and deep into the playoffs. I mean, we just gave you dissertation level uh, NBA breakdown of what's going on in the NBA playoffs. Um, but now it's time for us to say goodbye to all our company. So we want to hit you off with the Excel Academics uh, last word. Excel Academics changing the world one mentor at a time. Uh, Devon has got it this week. I'm going to pass it off to my man, D. Wills, and let him roll with it. Well, you know, what I, what I want to say uh, in terms of the last word is that um, this NBA playoff um, has been, and I've, I've been watching basketball for a long time, probably the most exciting playoff I watched, didn't watch, heard about while I was traveling. The energy was just so electric in many different ways because of not only the play on the court, but also the reaction to real-life issues off the court. It, it had so much drama and still in, in so early in its kind of unpacking that it reminded us that, um, uh, that even in the midst of all this excitement, we could still have social responsibility. Uh, it reminded us of why it was a game that we really love and why we love people like Kevin Johnson and Magic Johnson uh, 
and uh, Bill Russell and all this, not because of the way they play the game, but the way they play the game of life, that they always have been committed to larger issues, communities, and and all those things have been part of this first-round experience. And in some ways I think the game is going to be very strong. But also it also represented um, something different. Um, you know, I've loved this game. I love David Stern. But I think one of the challenges I've always had about Stern was that he pushed it to the line but never really challenged some of these uh, real issues um, because he was building the brand. Um, and what Alan Silver said is that the brand is nothing if we don't embrace all the things we really care about in our value system, whether it's the players, the communities they come from, and that it's more than just the brand, but we have a, a public responsibility thing. And I'm excited to see what helps happens under his leadership. And it fits what we're all about here at RSG. We're all about sports, life, society, community. Uh, it's been a great ride, and uh, we're hoping that you're going to hang with us uh, throughout. Till next time, RSG, fellas. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.